Hello and welcome to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott and this is a pod about interviews with tabletop gamers to highlight what points of their lives they feel like are victories and how tabletop gaming has helped them to get there as well as what they're playing lately and why they love it. And my guest today is Mr. Ivan Van Norman. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ivan. Hello. I you went with a high pitch there. No, I'm just so excited to see you. I'm so excited to yeah. see you. I know. We have, like, talk about victories. We've got some victories. So many. Yeah, so many. Let me list a few of yours. Okay. All okay. Right. So, <laughs> Ivan Van Norman is a renaissance man. Oh, my. He is the creator of the children's book, The ABCs of RPGs, creator of the zombie-themed RPG game Outbreak Undead, owner of the media publishing company Hunters Entertainment, Mm -hmm. and now in partnership with Renegade Games, Mm -hmm. game master for the very successful horror RPG shows Sagas of Sundry and We're Alive Frontier, and uh, a slew of other fascinating gaming credentials we met while working on the show Game the Game at Geek and Sundry. Uh, that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for our uh, glorious beginnings uh, when we started Game the Game. Glory so to Ushnooks! Glory! May he always reign supreme and may his feasts feed thousands upon millions. That is a deep, deep cut of the pantheon <laughs> of pastry and food-themed gods that we created. To this day, I still r- recall that moment in chat in which that became a thing and we like we were so I were it was somewhat some point we wanted to phonetically sound out what like the god of donuts would look like <laughs> and it was just like what would that name be like and then and then someone else said that and then we typed someone typed out the phonetic spelling of it, and I was like that's it right there now we should explain what the heck game the game used to be right. because it has evolved many times yeah. and especially for people who watch it on YouTube now they may not know where the history of where that came from exactly it was a twitch show where mm. we would play a new game every week but it was completely live and we had a live chat that we were also watching as yeah. people watched our playthrough of yep. a game and even before then we only were playing digital versions of board games right yeah uh, for reasons for reasons that involve not stepping on other properties that may have been owned by Geek and Sundry, and we won't say anymore. At the time, yes. So, but that's the thing. It was just, uh, it was just us getting involved with playing. Like, I think we just played a lot of um, tabletop simulator. Yeah, and so a much. Whole lot of Star Realms. I mean, I love Star Realms. <laughs> the so, best. Uh, yeah, I could play that all day. That's one of those. There are a few games that I prefer digitally. Star Realms is one of them. And Star Realms, it's a lot of, it's a lot of card shuffling. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, mm-hmm. it's a lot of shuffling, and it's, sometimes it's nice to have someone just rack up those sweet, sweet like cascading points for you, so you don't have to keep doing all the back and forth math, you mm-hmm. know, with the alliances. Now, Star Realms, help me with this description here. You're card drafting and you're fighting to the death. Everybody starts with a certain amount of hit points, and whichever side is the last one standing wins. Yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. Card drafting, um, it was kind of one of the early deck builders, but it's it had a very uh, ascension kind of like feel to it where you had a base deck and then you drafted based on what was in the flop and but then you pulled it But of course, out. sci-fi, starship, right. cruiser themed. And only two things to worry about, health and damage. So, health and damage. Yep. That's all you and monies, at. well, three things to worry about. So. All right, first things first. Think back to your childhood, Ivan. God. What board games were in your house when you were a kid? Oh, my. Um, Wait, what, what was the horror there? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I have very strong memories of two particular board games. Um, the first, first one being Battleship. 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 And I remember playing with my mother. 
on our, her giant California king bed. I think Aww. it was like less than 10 at the time. And we were playing Battleship. And, you know, we had good games as we were going together. But my mother also had one of those really like art deco beds that had a mirror <gasps> above it that was being held in place by like slats. Oh, God. So first of all, dangerous as hell. Yeah. We lived in Oregon, so earthquakes weren't as much of a thing as they are in California. Right. In California, you do not want anything sharp hanging no. over your bed. No. But we literally had, I think, had nine nine planes of mirrors you know wow. that were probably like like you know two oh. two and a half by two and a half long i foresee so. where this is going yep Cheater. yep <laughs> and yeah i think i think when my mother found out that i was having a pretty significant win streak um she, <laughs> she looked up and literally i think i gave it away with her at one point because i remember like looking up and kind of giving it away <sighs> Uh, the kind of show. But yeah, we, we didn't play board games on the bed anymore after that point. You know what's uh, interesting is that kids don't really have any sort of internal ethics until you teach it to them. Right, right. And she was more... She she I remember her laughing about it. She was just more like surprised and cheeky, being like, you cheater. Like, you know, she wasn't... I mean, she wasn't mad. So bless my mom for not having like uh, any kind of... Um, uh, you know, rage quitting kind of attitude. Right? She taught me very quick that it was just a fun thing. Like, don't do that. That's not why we play the game. Yeah. You don't do it to cheat. And rage quits are no good, too. So she taught you an important lesson there. Yeah, no rage quitting. You and know, then... I can remember slipping a 50 every time it, it was my turn in Monopoly. Oh, really? When I was the banker. And then slipping they stopped letting me be banker. <laughs> That's how you don't get to be banker anymore. Mm -hmm. Is when you start Unless slipping Unless you're sly 50s. about it. <laughs> Slide a hand. Yeah, but then yeah. you start having that bad, dirty feeling. Now, I should mention, back in the days of old game, the game. Right. I was referred to as the cheat, and I hated this. Uh -huh. And it's still, whenever people do it now, I shut it down because it's my least favorite thing. I, yeah, I remember I remember when you vocally proclaimed that it's like, I don't like this, I don't want to be the cheater anymore. I'm like, all right, we're, we're From done. From this point on, it's done. It's and done. then if anyone calls me that in your presence, I just look at you, Ivan, tell them. She doesn't cheat, <laughs> Becca's not a cheater. In fact, if anything, I'm closer to the cheater, mostly because I'm doing these power moves and I forget things. Right, so. you're strategically interpreting the rules. <laughs> <laughs> and then you forget that the rule book explicitly said, hey, it breaks the game if you do this thing, yeah, don't do this thing. Don't, don't do that thing. But don't when you're reading thing. a bunch of rule books all the time, you know. Yeah, you, you, t you just tend to whatever the path of least resistance to winning is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me win with minimal effort. Uh, Work smarter, not harder. And then, But then I remember HeroQuest. Did you ever play HeroQuest? HeroQuest. Hero it no. had... A, it was literally like a micro RPG that, mm. that was made by Games Workshop <gasps> back in the day. Ah, yes, I have it heard of this. Citadel miniatures, and it was literally a cooperative board game in which someone read the story. So it had like a mini GM that read the story, and then your adventures did this little dungeon crawling adventure, and it had dice. It was a challenging game, if I remember last time I played. Did so. the story reader also play, or were they just I'm the trying. reader of the story? You're going to get hammered for this but I, mean, I cannot remember if it was just someone who read and placed the models when all the doors were open 
or and if they because I know that someone had to roll for the enemies and had to move the enemies as well too. So I feel like it was there was a DM. Gotcha. I feel like there was. And more importantly, did you paint your minis? No, but we got dressed up in costumes. What? We wore the like had the wizard hat and like wore the barbarian furs and like we did the whole thing. These were your school friends. These were like my my buddies in uh, middle school going into high school. Kind of an attitude. It was hilarious. We had such a good time. And we never got past like the second dungeon or whatever. It was more about the act of dressing up and getting into the first game than it was actually about playing it. So, but that was that was like early imagination times and goofing off with friends and doing what you should do with games, which is just like create really fun moments and have those carry with you for the rest of your life. All right, I have a question, and uh, it, it's probably going to be a couple answers for this, but what game do you think you have logged the most hours on? Gloomhaven. Oh, really? Oh, In yeah. your adult life, Gloomhaven. In my adult life. You know, I was going to ask you about this later, because yeah. I heard you mention that you're playing through a Gloomhaven campaign, but let's yeah. talk about it now. Oh, man. I have not played Gloomhaven. I know it is an epic campaign game. It is a game. thing. It is um, an epic legacy game. Yeah, so yeah. tell me more things. How does it work? What do I? What so would I love about the it? The thing that, and Gloomhaven's one of those, like, specters, right? You've heard about it. It's got these great reviews, but, like, some people have it. But a lot of people don't have it. And then a lot of people look and they're like, $100 or $120 for this big box. And let me tell you, Gloomhaven is one of those games where if you enjoyed D&D just primarily for the combat mechanics of it, like if you enjoy like having special abilities, crunching through dungeons, knocking out bad guys, doing cool things, like the game is that moment on written repeat. It reminds me of... There was a game designer who was actually talking about Halo back in the day, and they said the best games take a wonderful moment and find a way to repeat that moment over and over again with fresh eyes. Ooh, yes. You know? And Gloomhaven, in my mind, does that. The whole point of it is that instead it does a diceless game. In order to do actions, you play two cards, and each card that you have as part of like your action deck mm -hmm. has a top action and a bottom action. And so on a turn— Do you always have access to the full action you deck? You always have access to the full action deck— you play the two cards, right? And you can play a top action and a bottom action. Mm. And there's an initiative, and you can pick which initiative of, of those two cards. So there's Got an it. endless. So no luck. No luck. Endless amount of combinations that you can make based on this action deck. But after you've done that turn, they go in your discard pile, all right? And so you only have what's available left in your action deck to play for the next round. If you run out of hands in your cards in your hand, you basically can what they call like a long rest or a short rest. You can pick your discard pile up, but now a card is lost, ah. like it goes into the lost. And so you can basically oh, you lose a card forever every you, time no, you, you lose pick a card for that up? scenario. Gotcha. Yeah, for that scenario, you lose a card for the entire game, um, for the entire scenario. Once you like basically to pick your discard back up. Okay, so it shares some mechanics with Century Spice Road in that way, but yeah. obviously much crunchier of and a game. The, and the difference is that every time you reshuffle, it goes away. So you can have your engine, and you pre-build your engine beforehand too, because your action deck is like, you know, can be a significant amount of, huge amount of cards, but you have a card hand limit that your character has. And as your character level ups, you unlock new cards oh. that go into your action deck so you can rebuild your deck oh. how you want it per scenarios. So this is where the addiction part comes in. Oh, yeah. You want to level up You want to level hard. up. And then the best part is they balance the game in such a way that once you're starting to feel a little bored of just playing this character, you're almost 
And most times, you're about ready to retire that character anyway. And if you retire a character like you fulfill its retirement conditions, you can unlock a box that wasn't available when you first started doing character creation. That's the legacy part of the game, right? You mm. just unlock a character that you never even played before. It's just magically now available. You just open the box and suddenly you have a whole new character and you get to play that one now. Oh, you know? so there are tons of characters in this box. Yeah, it's this giant ten, box. It's like 12. Okay. You know, and you start with four. And how many are players are in your campaign? So we have three. It's a two to four game. So we Ooh. just have three. It's it's a buddy of mine, um, Zach Weschler, who we actually call our group Brunch Haven because we should do it on like <laughs> Sundays at brunch. It's like Phoenix is one day of the week that he can watch as much TV as he wants. Oh, excellent. You know? Well, we should mention you have a beautiful yeah. ginger-haired angel <laughs> named Phoenix yeah. Van Norman. Phoenix... Shade, Shade Van, Van Norman. Norman, right? Yeah. yeah, the coolest name any kid has ever had. Oh, I appreciate that. I, it's so nice to hear you say Angel right now because he's he's not been a little Angel recently, but he is an awesome kid. So. Well, while we're on this topic, yeah. which could be its whole own podcast, he has Baby Haven. When we play Gloomhaven, I like set up a little map for him with minis, and he can play Gloomhaven next to us because he always wants to play. He wants. He's old enough now. He's like, Daddy, can I play board games with you? Yeah, I want to do what Daddy does. So I set up his little board game next to us. That is so. He precious. has his own collection, Becca. He has his own private collection of board games. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. That you have just pulled pieces from random games, or these are real. No, these are kids that are meant games. for him. Plus a couple of ones that have become his because he has opened them up and bent the cards enough that they're just not his at this stage. But he has—it's it's his own shelf, Becca. <laughs> You're teaching him to bend cards, and then they become his. Uh, That's—I didn't think about it that way, but that's—that's that's probably true. But I am not one to judge or say anything because <laughs> I imagine parenting is a rather difficult job. Uh, it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a joy. It's lovely. You just—it's one of those things where it is like a game. You are met with new challenges, and you just gotta find new ways to conquer them. Yeah. Every day. And a know? lot of psychological manipulation. Yeah, and on both ends. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, something I wanted to ask you about actually sure. is. How do you balance being a father, which is extremely time-consuming, with you are very much an entrepreneur in the mm. way you approach your freelance work because mm. you do so many things. You're always creating new projects. Every time I turn around, you're doing something new. How do you balance that work in life while being a new father? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> when you figure it out, would you please tell me? Sure. Um, we should mention you have a YouTube series along with Trisha Hirschberger and David Moss, known as Laser Corn. Yep. And it's called Nerds with Kids. Nerds with Kids. I put on an episode yesterday. Isn't it fun? <laughs> Aren't they adorable when they doof around together? So uh, it's just an excuse for us to get together and watch the and, and record like a podcast while we have the kids play. Yeah, it's very much you guys trying to have a conversation about what adult things you're up to with like, oh my God, come back over here. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't or, touch that. Or, or do Tyler touch that. Like, ah! <laughs> it's running across the screen. Um, yeah, no, it, it is definitely, when you are when you are in a space like this and you're working pretty actively to try to like make stuff happen when you're a content creator, you know, the more that you can integrate your life into your work, like seeing your friends, for example, like it's nice to, you know, go and hang out with you and also record a podcast. Um, but then it's it's also just about finding that life of like you need to make some sacrifices, but the, the 
important things you'll always make time for. Like I have a pretty hard cutoff now from when I can do stuff. Like I don't take calls at 9 p.m. anymore. I used to do that all the time. Right. I used to like take evening calls no matter what, like rain or shine, I'm available, let's go. But now I don't do phone calls past 6 p.m. And it hasn't affected my you know, career in any like major way. It's just now, okay, from six to nine or six to 10, you know, dinner and hang out with the kid. And if something's really important, like I'm on a, on a deadline, then we'll work together and I'll pull a late night and get whatever needs to get done that needs to get done. But just as a rule, normally, like I set qualifiers for when and how I need to do things. I take Phoenix to daycare every morning. So we get an hour in the morning to do stuff. And, you know, that's usually our time to hang out and play a little bit or do breakfast. But then when he's dropped off, then then I just go straight into making my time mean something. Now, you told me you didn't have any advice, but that is excellent advice. It seems that having a kid and being a freelance entrepreneur, whatever you call it, that you have learned to compartmentalize more and make better use of your time when time is designated to a specific thing. That seems like great advice to me. And it's hard to schedule, but you know, my calendar is, it's like I color code it now Ooh. to make it really clear, like the blue is family time, like family things that we've scheduled, red are meetings, yellows for creative time. So, and that's the hard one. Honestly, that's the hardest one is I'm still learning how to like, okay, it's, you know, it's 12 to noon, I'm going to write, or I am going to work on development, or I'm going to work on a game or whatever it is. And it takes, it, and I, God, I, I, I celebrate writers who can just do this to just like turn their brain off and turn on their writer brain and then just clickety, 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 clack. Well, and the drugs help. <laughs> drugs and booze help. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Hmm. You know, and for the for the two hours of writing I get done, the hangover is not worth it. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I, I will agree that Google Calendar is the best invention ever of all time. Ever of yeah. all time. And Google Keep. Ooh. Google Keep is the best because oh, nice. they're getting rid of Inbox now and all my reminders were on Inbox and Google's decided that they can't place ads there anymore so <laughs> it's not worth it. So, bleh. But Gotta be innovating. Google, keep... you want us to stop talking trash? Put an ad on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it in. Way to bring it in, Thank Becca. you, thank you. <laughs> Only episode two, but I'm working Hustling on the marketing the angle. Yeah. yeah, hustling the Google up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you went to Chapman University, if I, yeah. my memory serves. Yeah. And you went there for film. Yeah, I went there for film. I, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, which I like to call the last refuge of the great American hippie. That's where <laughs> you can see them in their natural environment. Like, we're talking hacky sack on the in front of city center. Yeah, and they let them run free, too. They right? let them, no yeah. They're free yeah. range, mm -hmm. absolutely. So you, that's how you get the best weed is oh, when you right. free range them, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but they, they go and they have the Saturday market out there. It's like, and everything's either glass or clay or food. It's <laughs> like. What I want to know about is. It's Chapman. You went to film school. I went to film school. What yeah. are you doing working in games? So, yeah, I went down to film school because, like every other schmuck who comes to LA, like I wanted to direct. Of right? course. And so I took my time in film school, but I slowly started to realize, like, even in my freshman year, as I was going through it, I'm like, wow, I would much rather play video games <laughs> than watch a movie. Well, like all of my peers around me were like, oh, have you seen this movie? You're like, what do you think of this? Like they're in it. They're in the space. They're they're learning. They're absorbing. It's what you do in college. Right. And I'm like, meh, you know. <laughs> 
I just got done playing like Grim Fandango. What do you think about that? You know, or just like I would be playing these story storyline centric games, but I always liked interactive content. Sure. More than I liked watching like a flat two D screen that had a story being fed to me, and it. Uh, well, now with um. Oh. What's the Black Mirror episode? I know. Yeah, with, uh, Band- with Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch, yeah. yes. Which uh, now they knew it was coming. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. coming. They're coming closer and closer yep. to one another. Yep. And uh, it just kind of became a thing where um, after graduating college, I still tried. I, I Unfortunately, it was right during the recession. I graduated 2007, 2008, and that's when the writer's strike hit. And when, like, the recession was, like, the the – you know, early, early, I guess you can say mid-2000s recession was kind of a big thing. So there was no work. I, like, worked in the mail room at DreamWorks for, like, a year and a half. Sure. Oh, and, wow. That's yeah, fun. Like, mail work work. And then I even worked uh, for a brief time. Like, God, I was even at a, I was even a call center for, like, six months, you know. Just well... Uh, what film school students don't realize is they're not going to get a job on a Hollywood movie right out of college nope. anyway. In fact, the mailroom was like a big win because even before then, I was doing QA at Activision for Guitar Hero 3, oh. like playing Guitar Hero for 40 hours a week. So the dream, living the, the dream. The super dream, yeah. Mm. Oh, God, QA testing is awful. <laughs> uh, but I never really applied my... Um, my degree until we started working together at GNS because I finally found out that like making games and playing games was much more entertaining than film school. But now there's this great world that we're somehow involved in where it's like you can make content about games and you can make videos about games. And oh, by the way, role playing games when put people put in costumes and like thrown in front of a really awesome like atmosphere like Sagas of Sundry. Wow, people really respond well to that. It's it's weird and it's wonderful and it's lovely. But yeah, I had no idea. Right? No clue. Isn't it awesome when the thing that you have student loans for can actually help you with what you're doing now? Oh man, and boy do I. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, Chapman wasn't wasn't cheap, but it also gave me a foundation of friends that I would lean on in years later in fact in film school the people who you know would come to me and be like well you know is there any point in going to film school yes because actually college in general is a safety net to fail oh you know what i mean dig into that because i love the idea of embracing failure as Mm -hmm. we were talking about just before we started recording here right uh so what do you mean by a safety net to failure so in college you can try things and you can attempt them with friends. And if you fail, you will not become homeless. You will still usually have meals, okay? Usually. Usually. I mean, if you can eat the cafeteria food. Right. But hey, that's food, you know? You can, you literally have as much time you wanna put into a week to hang out with the people that you hopefully will spend a large portion of your life with to work on projects that are passionate to you, you know? It's really like an artisanal, you know, the way that, like, um, you know, if you were going to be doing a blacksmith apprenticeship, you know, and you're hanging out with the blacksmith, but the difference is, is that instead of having a master that you learn from, you're all just learning together. Mm. And since you're all learning together on kind of an equal level, some of you are all, you're just, it's just going to be a jumble of failures. <laughs> it's just going to be a jumble of, like, trying stuff. Oh, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. And then just, just roll with it. And then occasionally you go to class. Right. You know. That's really interesting because I have found recently in my adult life, I have been 
attempting to fail more. Mm. Oh, okay. Because for me, perfection or the idea of perfection or striving for perfection has always been a thing and therefore can be paralyzing. And so my advice to any artist or any person in general is don't be afraid to make an absolute fool of yourself by saying yes to starting a podcast when you know nothing about podcasting (laughs) because why not and you know and you and you the good news is that you're far enough along where you do have a bit of a support network to be able to allow things to be able to come into it and to get that that appropriate amount of like um feedback and and you know constructive feedback that you're hoping to be able to move forward with oh are you referring to youtube comments because i do not look at those (laughs) No, no 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 No, no, no. (laughs) Work with the people who you want to work with, not with the people who want to or or are vying for your attention, so to speak. Uh, Which, to be fair, I don't take that advice terribly well either. I I enjoy whatever the zeitgeist is going into it. But I also try to teach myself that when listening to criticism, look between the lines. Don't look at what it says per the words. Like if someone says, wow, that wasn't fun at all, then instead of saying, well, okay, that – hurts me because they say it wasn't fun I say well was it not engaging like was there an element part that they didn't like like I try to deconstruct what it is so that I can isolate that element and if absolutely it's... and if they could phrase their hateful or <laughs> aggressive <laughs> comments in a way that was more more specific right it would help us all and yeah if you're going to be critical be specific <laughs> on how critical you're going to be but yeah we, we stumbled like when we first started Game the Game, like we were working on it. I have no idea what you mean. Oh my God, Becca, did we stumble? <laughs> we were figuring it out, but we were we were having a good time. And that's Absolutely. really all it came down to. And you know, I I'm I I am extremely proud of you for going out there and just trying stuff. Ivan, I'm proud of you every day. <laughs> now I have so many more things to ask okay. you about. I want to talk about Hunter's Entertainment. I want to talk about ABCs of RPGs. Uh, we should maybe ABCs talk about ABCs of D and D now. Oh, ABCs of D&D is your second children's book. But before we do, we're going to go to a short break. Enjoy this word from our sponsor. Welcome back. I'm here with my guest, Ivan Van Norman, who is the creator of multiple children's books, the ABCs of RPGs and the ABCs of D&D, a creator of Outbreak Undead and Hunter's Entertainment and so many other things such as GMing, Sagas of Sundry and We're Alive Frontier. Yay. Hi, Ivan. Hi, Becca. All right. I did the baritone for you this time. Thank you. I needed that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about... I, I believe your first published game, Outbreak yeah, Undead. Yeah, that was Outbreak. And it, it, back then it was Hunter's Books and Apparel because we actually had to fund our first book with an apparel line. Oh. Yeah. Or they were, so yeah. the apparel paid for the book? Simultaneously. Like we mm. printed the book and we were also printing T-shirts because because we had a cool trademark, Your Zombie Survival Plan Will Fail. <laughs> and it just seemed like a cool all-purpose T-shirt to sell. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to have ever played the game to no. have that T-shirt be relevant. And it was also advertisement for the game. Well, so, uh, so my understanding, let me try and do your pitch okay. that you're so good at. Yeah. So Outbreak Undead is your zombie survival plan because mm-hmm. you play as an enhanced version of yourself and all of your stats are dictated by your real world knowledge. Mm-hmm. And typically the GM will start you off wherever you are right then and there. That's the most fun. Like I enjoy sessions that are like, you know, day zero, stuff's happening right now, 
throw you into the boiling pot, so to speak, and see what comes out of it. But yeah, it's it is a traditionally, I guess, if we're going to use game terms for this, it is a it is a survival horror simulation RPG. Simulation RPG. Mm. What is the distinction there, and what else falls in that category? So simulation, for all intents and purposes, dictates that it is a you can appropriate rules as much as you want to try to make it as more as much of a realistic experience as you'd like you know and what that really comes down to is is that it's crunch you know so if you want to have a game that's just run and gun shoot them pow 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 like let the bodies hit the floor kind of a situation not the game for you well it's there's an arcade mode mm. that, but it has like 12% of the rules that are inside of the game. Yeah, know. well, what I was impressed by is the rules system you created for mm -hmm. it. There's a lot of dice. A lot of dice. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's different colored dice for different mechanics, but the dice represent things like depletion, your initiative, damage, and difficulty. And these are all elements that can go into it. So for so when I say simulation, I literally mean if you want to simulate a, a zombie apocalypse scenario, then there are enough rules in this book that you can do things like hit location, gangrene, infections, um, strongholds, like stats for your strongholds, uh, different types of injuries leading out from, from bone infection all the, or, or bone injury all the way out to like thermal damage. Ugh, I hate when my bones get infected. I hate when my, <laughs> oh, that, that, that marrow, deep, deep marrow burn. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes that. So, so I sort of see a Venn diagram between <laughs> RPG players yeah. and tabletop board game players. Yeah. And then there's this cross-section. You're very much in both of those circles. Right, yeah. Um, and I think this game does an interesting job, Outbreak I'm Dead, of um, appealing to both of those crowds, would you it's, say? It does. It's. I think, actually, there's a third Venn diagram that pulls in there, too, and it's people who love survival horror. Ooh. It's like the people who really are looking for an experience that is not kind to them. And or what it does, it's maybe not kind is inappropriate. It doesn't hold any back any punches, mm -hmm. you know. So in the same way that Call of Cthulhu, when you make your character in Call of Cthulhu, you are, you know, you're the best you're going to be at the beginning of that session because right. it's all downhill from there. Yeah, insanity you know? is coming. It's coming. Yeah. yeah, it's just not about if. It's just when and how. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the same way, outbreaks the same boat. It's just about how you're going to die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. And uh, on the flip end of the spectrum, Kids on Bikes is totally storytelling rules light. Now, Kids on Bikes had different writers, and you we published it. Worked to publish it. Yeah. yeah. So Doug Levadansky and Jonathan Gilmore wrote Kids on Bikes, and I picked up that game system from them at Gen Con a couple of years ago, and we brought it to market for them. That was actually our first um, acquired acquired title with. Um, we acquired that title, and then it was immediately our first published game through Renegade. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. And Renegade is incredible. They do so many games. So many games. Um, so many games. Can you shout out a few of the listeners might know that are their board game staples? So Renegade's big staples are things like Clank. Um, oh, love Clank. Lanterns yes. they had, which are tabletop Our premiere. episode of Will Wheaton's tabletop yeah, was Lanterns. lanterns. With yes. Renegade. Um, they have... Uh, what are they? Um, the Tea Garden Society. They have that little. They yeah. did the Scott Pil Pil Pilgrim board game. Right. Let's see what they also have. And Lanterns is such a beautiful game. Oh, it's awesome. It's all about the cherry blossom mm -hmm. ceremony and little paper lanterns on the lake. Yep. And I You're don't know. You're just matching sets. Did I ever officially apologize for how aggressive I came off in that tabletop episode? You were 
awesome, Becca. Like you were great. That there's still there's still gifts to this day of that stuff. But no, you were you were after that trophy, and no one blamed you for it. You know. So. As a woman in this space, I feel like I need to make it okay for all women to be as ex aggressive yeah. as they want to be. No, I, I learned a lot in our games playing together. It's that, you know, it is okay for people to want to win. Yeah, and know? we had to make a truce at one point. We did, we yeah. did. Okay, we you were beating my butt. Well, <laughs> it just came to this thing where we'd have two guests and we'd mm. be playing a four-player game. And you and I, because we wanted to be polite to our guests, would always go for each other's throats. Until it was like... We gotta stop going for each other's For a while, throats. it wasn't even about the guests anymore. It was just about like, is Becca gonna be Ivan or is Ivan gonna be Becca? And we had to, yeah. And which of these guests they brought on will become the kingmaker? <laughs> I know. I, I think at one point we were actually leveraging the guests against each other. Yes, for a while. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who is not familiar with the term kingmaking, yeah. is when a player that is probably not going to win has enough weight to throw around that can basically choose which other player will win. Yeah, and they can throw it. It's basically, for intents and purposes, it's like the, the fourth or third player throwing the match to the second and to the first. You know? Yep, yep. Uh, and if, as long as they do it to beat up on whoever's in first place, not for out of game personal reasons, and it's, then and it's fair. And, it's, and we'd, we'd, this would come across in games that were ostensibly not diplomatic at all. Like, there's no diplomatic elements at all to these games. <laughs> they're like engine builders or whatever. We found a so. way. We did. <laughs> what do you think about the mechanic of king making in general? Do you prefer a game where that's not an option? I think it's hard to avoid. Mm -hmm. The problem is I, I don't think people put in king making unless it's something like a, a very uh, strategic, um, like, a, like a betrayal game. Or something that is like has that has diplomatic elements to it, like a secret Hitler or a coup or a resistance or Avalon, something like that. Sure. But then I, but it just in like you know any of the games that you have here, Colt Express or any standard kind of um, sit down 4X or you know um, explore games. It's just uh, I think it's sometimes it's hard to avoid in the mechanics, but the more you can curb it, the better. It just all comes down to like how do you win, right? And so someone's got to win, other people have to lose. Hmm. So how do you define what that means? Or everyone wins or everyone loses. Right. That's one of the reasons I like three versus one games so much. I was just going to ask you about a specific three versus one game right? to switch gears just a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, I was weaseling my way out of jury duty. <laughs> And you filled in for me on Game the Game and played Valor and Villainy. Valor and Villainy, yeah. yeah. Which I had no idea was a three versus one. Right. Originally. So yeah. you got to be the big bad. Got to be the big bad, and that's I think that's the only. So sorry to start with the, one of the things that is negative about three versus one games. Well, I was just going to ask you whether you like them or not because I, I think people have pretty clear feelings one I, way or the other. I love them, but I also know that sometimes three versus one games are not fun when you're the three. You know, oh. three versus one games are usually the best when you're the one like Spectre Ops, Hunt for the Ring. Um, Let's you see know. the Attack on Titan game. Attack on Titan game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really fun when you're the Titan. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, personally, yes. I, yeah, I love to be. Oh, did you see? Yeah, did it can, there yeah, was sparkle in the there. sparkle of evil in yeah. my eye. Well, personally, I can be impressed with a cooperative game, but mm -hmm. I like a competitive game because mm -hmm. I want there to be a winner. Yes. But I find a cooperative game is good when you're with new gamers or very casual gamers that right. they're not about going for the jugular. And sometimes you also, I've also learned that, that 
competitive gamers can also have a great time when they want to take a back seat and just chill for a night. Competitive games are good for like, I'm just want to chill for a night. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to sit back with a you know vodka soda and play a cooperative game and not have to worry about like, how am I going to win? And Red and more, it's more like, how are we going to win? Right. You know? Vodka soda, do you put a twist in there? Do you put a lemon? No, I'm what? trying so hard to wean myself off of soda. Like, mm. the club. so it's it's all sparkling water club soda right now for me. And you know? all the vodka. And, well, and more Cassandra's vodka, on... less soda, and that'll help you wean. Right. Yes. More <laughs> vodka, less soda. Um, Cassandra's on a full keto diet right now. Oh, So dang. we have a sugarless household right now. Yes, so. Cassandra being Phoenix's mother Phoenix's and mom. your partner. With my partner, yes. Yes, for people who don't know. That's okay, letting out all the personal information about my sugarless household right now. Yeah, so. oh, I love that. Okay, well, back to Valor and <laughs> yes, Villainy. So yes. this is it was fun. Skybound Games. It was super fun. And yeah. uh, so did you feel like everybody had, so it's definitely. I thought it was pretty balanced, yeah. So everyone had agency. It wasn't player elimination if you died. Actually, having the players die is a, is a part of the mechanic. Right, because, because they, it helps you to grow stronger as the evil Mordek. wizard overlord Mord yes. Mordek. Mordek, yeah, Mordek. yeah. He's uh, so so. The point is the the villain is supposed to collect player bodies. That's the whole point of it. Oh yeah. The yes. more he does, so the stronger he becomes. And so it's. Uh, I thought it was great because it definitely had that little bit of a balance, and the, the board was small enough that it wasn't like. Hunt for the Ring Man. Like there's, it's so hard for the Nazgul to find Frodo. Mm. You know, because that board is big. You right, know. and what I uh, so I looked over the rule book for this mm -hmm. game, and what I liked about the setup was there wasn't a board. The cards themselves really that you not. flip and explore are the board. Yeah, and it can be limited actually in the game that we played on Game the Game. We they found all the um, shrines really early oh. in the game. Spoilers oh if you my. haven't seen it, but they found all the shrines really early, and so we had a, they had a very limited ground in which to move around, mm. and so I you know with giving. Normally, a bigger board would allow Mordak to move around a little more, but in this circumstance, it's actually really helped me as Mordak because they they didn't have nearly as much gear as they needed. They activated the fight super early, and they didn't have as much stuff as they were hoping to have. Gotcha. The final boss the fight. The final boss fight. Oh, yeah, because okay. how what happens mm. in the game is you have to the players have to find three shrines, and then that activates Mordak to come into the game. And if the players kill Mordak, then they win. Mordak just basically has to only kill three players um, with his power level in order to win. Sure. You know? And were you, so I know that <laughs> Mordak is a spirit until yes. those things are found. Yes. W was it at all boring being Mordak? No, up no, because the minions are there. You just throw minions you at them. You throw minions. Yeah, you just, I mean, actually, th that was the, the, the crux of my game is I invested so much of my experience points into minion summoning because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make the minions work for it. You yeah. Know? And so I b leveled up all of my dice because Mordak has, every player has essentially a stat line that has like weak, medium, and strong dice for each one. And I leveled up Mordak's summoning line of his stat to summon monsters as much as I could. But, you know, that was all useless once my corporeal form was upon the board. Oh, yes. okay. Interesting. You know. Now, so Kickstarter, um, running now. Val Valor and Villainy is a Kickstarter game yeah. currently running. Yeah. And you have a lot of experience with Kickstarter to switch gears yet again. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk to me about that because I know that you used to run campaigns as your your. That's actually how I got involved with GNS. Oh. Is uh, as I ran the tabletop season three Indiegogo campaign. Oh, go know? on. So. And Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Yeah. Which why? Well. For for board games, it's all Kickstarter nowadays. Right. Indiegogo is mostly film. 
then it's mostly physical products. You know, Indiegogo's been taking a backseat on the board game space. They even hired like a guy to try to help bring them in for a little bit, and it's just they couldn't find the penetration. <laughs> nope, sorry, you don't sorry. have it. Now, for you anyone know. living under a rock, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform, but if you found this podcast, you probably know you that. You probably know. Indiegogo <laughs> is as well, and the main difference being with Kickstarter, if you do not reach the goal you set, mm-hmm. Everybody who donated gets their money back. Right. With Indiegogo, there's a flex funding option. Right, um, yeah. and uh, I, I believe the platform they take a takes higher percentage. A higher percentage if yeah. you don't meet your goal. Right. Yeah, it's 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 you know it's an option, but I'm all about the go big or go home. But now people are gaming even that for Kickstarter as well too. Like I can't even tell you the amount of campaigns I've seen that like set their campaigns at, l- at the lower than what they actually need to fund. And so, just because they want to get that quick funding, right? You gotta, you gotta at least get the money that people promised, at least get the and money. then you can put up a second campaign. Yes. Now, I want to get into the philosophy of crowdfunding games. Mm-hmm. Now, some people contribute this this ability of being able to crowdfund online right. to the boom, the renaissance yeah. of tabletop gaming and board yeah. gaming, and and then I'm starting to see some naysayers saying. Well, now these big companies that have the money to produce yeah. their own game are doing it anyway as yeah. a pre-order. It's the it's the best money, Becca. Honestly, the I best mean, money. It's the best money because I'll I'll try to make this and this is going to be a whole lot of like business structure 101. But I'll try to make it super quick so as not to bore the hell out of your audience. You got to start with 101 for me because right. I don't know. So when people sell board games, they usually are a store. They're buying it from a store, right? right? Or they're buying it online. Sure. So a store always buys a game from a distributor or directly from the publisher. So then that distributor either buys it from the people who make it. Um, and that is the thing. They call it three-tier distribution. So when a person makes a board game uh-huh. and it goes from a shop, it usually goes to a distributor who then sells it to a retailer who then sells it to a customer. Right. Means but if, if the product doesn't sell out, then sometimes the yes. deal is... Target or whoever can we'll say, "Oh, it. your product didn't get sold out. You gotta buy it back from us. Give us our yes. money back." Yeah. So if it doesn't move, that's what the consignment essentially is, mm. you know. And that's how the magazine used to do. Actually, what they would do is they would rip the covers off and send the covers back. Wait, what magazine? It, all magazines. All for, magazines. All magazines for a long time. If they didn't, if like a if like a weekly trade uh-huh. didn't sell onto it, they would rip the cover off and send the cover back, and they would get reimbursed for the cost of that. Of that, um, of that purchase, and oh, all that so many trees dead with yeah. coverless magazines, coverless magazines, and the whole reason they did that is because that was that was a way to incentivize retailers to overstock in case the demand for the trade was high, you know. So, because otherwise, if you're like, well, I don't know if this is going to sell ten copies or a hundred copies, I'm going to buy ten copies, right? Right. But then the demand for it's closer to seventy five. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, well, now that's sixty five copies they didn't sell because the retailer was too scared to buy more. Right. So for those people creating a board game, do consignment. Just don't spend the money yet. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the, so, the, so the reason why Kickstarter is the best money is, is because it's a direct-to-consumer market. It's being sold directly to the consumer the same way that if it was buying directly on their website. And the money that Kickstarter makes – that percentage that Kickstarter takes is significantly less than what a distributor, um, or or a um, a distributor or even a retailer buys it from, gotcha. right? Because once they've all exchanged hands, they, it's it's a pretty small margin, 
Right. You know? So mm, yeah, cut out all the middle peoples. But the challenge, the meeples, the meeples yes, them. and that's it is literally is cutting in them out the middleman. That's really what it comes down to. Kickstarter cuts out the middleman and it gives publishers the direct money in order to fund it. And even better, they kind of have an idea of what the expectation of the game is going to have. Right, your fans you know? can directly comment, and you will probably see it saying, "Oh, this is cool, but I wish it had this feature." Yeah. And that's nice on a creative side, but I'm talking about like if you have a Kickstarter that has three thousand units sold. Then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to print definitely at least 3,000, but probably more. And I'll make a projection based on how well the Kickstarter was to sell it in third tier distribution. And then the. And third tier being in a retail store. Retail store. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then the, the, the fun. The, other, the only other challenge, though, the thing that people have been running across, it's a huge issue with Kickstarter lately, is, is that you do get a lot of like marketing hype when the Kickstarter's done. And then by the time the game actually drops, like six to eight months later. They lose a lot of Fizzles. momentum. Yeah, yes. well, that's a thing that I've noticed not just with games, but the same with TV and film. Yeah. It's just that because we as consumers have access to so many different types of entertainment and media and yeah. gaming and visual stimuli yeah. that um, we're always on to the next new thing. Yeah. Like so I, quickly. Yeah. Um, is it, Games, I have my core games that I love and I'll right. always play, but now it's whenever it's a game night, I'm always trying to make everybody play new the game. new thing yeah, yeah. that I got that's my shiny new toy. Yeah, yeah. Um, same with TV shows. I mean, aside from Goodwill Hunting, I can't tell you what movies I go back and rewatch because I feel like I have to be up on the new, new thing yeah right. and it's it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of cardboard nowadays it's so much so much cardboard it's so much cardboard and so the, much just the cardboard surrounding what yeah. you've punched out and kickstarter is also a great market as well too because the um and I, this is the analogy i like to use all the time you can make a really crappy web series for fifty thousand dollars or less or less. I've done it. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> you know. So let's say. Try two. Two. <laughs> That's being resourceful. <laughs> um, you, it's a. You can make a pretty crappy web series for fifty grand. Mm -hmm. but you can make a pretty dope board game. What? For fifty grand. Yeah, you, know you can. I mean? And it's just totally. It's just because a lot of it's art and creative. It's not like someone's going out and sourcing plastic and making like the the new technological know-how where there's a whole lot of like trying to optimize parts, like all the engineering that's involved, like, you know, years of development and nobody gets their stuff because, they, you know, the creators didn't factor a thing when they launched it on crowdsourcing or whatever. Right. Which is pretty common, you know. Now, here's a potential con, and let me know if this yeah. is totally wrong, of crowdfunding platforms for gaming. It, it, um, it seemed like at first it could be a way for the indie developer right. that doesn't have any games out there to get seen by the masses right. and get fans that didn't even know they would be fans right. to, to lift this thing up. Mm -hmm. With the inundation of developers as well using this platform, does that make it harder for the little guy? Well, I mean, to be fair, it's still an equal opportunity platform. You, if you, whether you're little or whether you're Simon, you can put your thing up on Kickstarter. CMON is obviously bringing a lot more muscle as far as marketing and ideas and concepts in there, but right. they're also bringing a huge audience to mm -hmm. the platform as well, too. Ooh, good point. You know? And there's a lot of people who, as they continue to bring new people to the market, they'll have an opportunity to find some of these indies. And, and back when Kickstarter was indie and only the new no one had heard of projects were on site of there, I mean, the amount of people on Kickstarter were also a lot less. Right. It was a much smaller pool in which to draw from. So I think like anything else, 
the the market grows and a platform like that grows with the market so you know there'll be billions of dollars spent on kickstarter last year and probably this year wow you know yeah we're gonna make the mainstream recognize that we are legit because we spend a lot of money money, right and kickstarter made more in board games last year than it did in video games right yeah yeah by by huge margins you know why do you think that is i think because honestly it's that same thing i I mentioned earlier like you need half a million dollars to really make an a video game that people feel like they can go and play and support right you need a team of developers versus a team of two or three artists all this other stuff or either that or you're going to be waiting years for that thing to come out (laughs) right you know yeah there was that uh that old documentary from five, six years ago, indie mm. game that talks about video indie, games. Yeah. And <laughs> yep, it's a time consuming process it when is. you do it alone. Whereas a tabletop game, well that's just uh what, year of your life? Come on. Nothing. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing. <laughs> just producing it, putting it all together. And like I said, some people like Renegade because they have a team together and they have a lot of um, developers that they work with, they can have a pretty huge return cycle. Yeah. So I do very kind people at Renegade. Yes. Cool, cool. I do not not hate on big publishers for using Kickstarter as part of their market. I also am in that boat where I don't think retailers are being screwed because that amount of money is now going on Kickstarter versus going into their stores. Right. And, you know, I don't think the people who would buy a game probably as a gift from, well, maybe friendly local game stores are hurt Mm -hmm. by it more than Target. But uh, those people... It's just bringing a new audience yeah. that wasn't there before, as you mentioned, to yeah. the platform in general. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I keep mentioning it, so we got to dive into it okay. a little bit yeah. because. What is it, Becca? Last night I watched a little clip that a, oh. a mother sent you on Twitter that was this little girl, I'm going to guess maybe six years old, maybe less, and this mother had sent a clip to you of this little girl they were going back and forth she'd say a letter and then her daughter would say a letter and the whole rhyme that went with it because you wrote the book the R- the ABCs of RPGs which is exactly what it sounds like yeah. going through the alphabet and A is for adventure may you always be oh I'm sorry in the D&D <laughs> one it's A is for adventure our journey has just begun Ah, that's the ABCs of D&D. And um, Wizards of the Coast uh, picked that up, right? They picked that up, yeah. So, yeah, previously when it was ABCs of RPGs, A is for adventure, may you always be on one. Um, But uh, D&D approached me after we put the book on Kickstarter, and then it had its run on ThinkGeek for a while, and I was selling direct for a long time, and I was on Amazon Mm -hmm. for a long time, and... And they, they well, lo- not a long time because this has all been in the four years I've known you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, it really only had about two years before D and D wanted to snag it up. So yeah, we had a great conversation. They loved it. They really wanted to get into children's stuff. You know, they put out their coloring book this year as well too, and the, but they also put out like those little adventure books that the uh, endless, endless quest, endless journey. Oh man, I'm having a hard time remembering it now. But they're basically like adventure books for kids, YA novels for D&D kids. Oh, so. so cool. So cool. Now, what has that experience been like for you? Does it feel 
huge? Is this something you ever dreamed of? So many people have it now. Like I thought we were doing great when it was just when I was just pushing it out on my own. But like seeing it in like Barnes and Noble and like I mean I mean hell even Felicia like tweeted me and it was like look at Felicia what I found. Day. Yeah, Felicia Day. Who originally created Geek and Sundry. Yeah, and she, and her little quotes on the book as well too, you know? And she was like at the she was at the um in like Amazon bookstore and she saw it on a shelf and it just seems like it's everywhere now. So it you know? so you you republished it re um, we did we did the art so what what I like to say is is that we we took the ABCs of RPGs that everybody loved and we retooled it and provided new art and copy that would be delightful for people who are big fans of Dungeons and Dragons. Gotcha. So both are still available. No. No. Okay. So ABCs of D and D is it now? Is it now? Okay. Yeah. Amazing. That's what I was wrong on. Yeah. It's Oops, okay. Sorry. It's fine. No. ABCs of D and D is where it is because they we are now uh, Hunters Entertainment. Yeah. Is now a licensee of Dungeons and Dragons for that book series. Did you ever think you would be a publisher? Of a of a of a children's book that with Dungeons and Dragons? No, no. If you had asked the little boy who was playing Hero Quest and donning a little tiny wizard's hat that he would eventually sell a children's book for to D&D, I would say he had no goddamn clue. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's weird because I don't even real. I like, I never take the time to step back and actually realize it and think about it. But hearing you say it, it's like, yeah, I guess that's kind of a big deal it's a huge deal <laughs> i'm just like okay well great we did that and that's fun and i'm really happy people like it that 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 made it worth it though i'm pointing to my phone because i'm referring to twitter <laughs> that thing that thing yeah um that little girl reading it because that really set it for home for me it's like wow parents are reading this to their kids well and um what what it, gives me shivers about it is that you are helping to inspire the next next generation of nerds How, you are beaming right now how does that feel i'm, I'm I, I, it's actually really emotional yeah. i didn't really i didn't really honestly think that that was going to be like i want to make things worth participating in and when you are a parent and you know that like little things can have big effects on kids um i I don't know. I guess I'm just really uh, <laughs> I'm humbled and I'm grateful that um, a little girl can literally memorize my book and have the biggest smile on her face when she's talking to her mom about it. You know, it's it's really special. So. Well, that seems like the perfect place to end. Thank you so much, you, Ivan Van Norman. <laughs> Ivan Baron Van Norman. Oh my, okay. Man of many talents. <laughs> Uh, thank you for being here. Thanks, Becca. <laughs> and thanks too much, so much to um, our audience, whoever you might be in the future, because we're not even up anywhere yet. But uh, we will be by the time you're listening to this. So please subscribe on whatever platform you found us on and share this podcast with a friend. See you next time.